Hi there. My name is Mireya Perez, and I aspire to create a platform where language service providers can tell their stories and where listeners can find inspiration and creativity. This podcast is dedicated to you, the language professional that desires to listen to the journeys of others in order to create their own path and personal branding. Here, I'll feature an array of guests from all fields of interpretation, as well as translation, willing to share their stories with you. Join me as we embark on professional and personal development by telling our stories. This is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Hey guys, happy July. Can you believe it's already July? I know I can't. One would think that these times would be going by slowly, but it's been my experience at least that time is flying by. Insane. Anyway, I wanted to jump in here real quick and say thank you for continuing to support this endeavor of mine. It's always inspiring to know how many of you out there are tuning in. The behind the scenes does take work and commitment, and it's all made worthwhile when I know that there's listeners out there tuning in. That being said, it would mean a great deal if you would be so kind as to give in this podcast a rating. I mean, preferably a great rating, right? You guys know how these algorithms work. The more listeners that say that it's worth listening to, the more the podcast platforms promote it. So when you get a quick moment, please kindly give this podcast a good rating. All right, and now to the reason you're here. Language access management goes hand in hand with providing language services. On today's episode, you will hear from someone that is passionate about language services advocacy. Tatiana Sestari has 20 years of combined experience in healthcare as a pharmacist, pharmacologist, researcher, professor, manager, a CHI medical interpreter, and a remote interpreter. Tatiana currently serves as the Director of Language Service Advocacy at Cloudbreak Health slash Marty, where she helps partners in healthcare with best practices, compliance, and cultural sensitivity in language access. She has mentored, developed trainings, presented at symposia, conferences, and workshops, published peer-reviewed scientific articles, and has lectured for undergraduate and graduate students for over 17 years. Tatiana obtained her pharmacy degree and her PhD in pharmacology from Universidad Central de Venezuela. So, without further ado, here's Tatiana Sestari. Tatiana, thank you so much for having accepted my invitation to come on the show and sharing your story with all of us. It's a pleasure to have you. So who is Tatiana Sestari? Well, Mireya, uh, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. As I mentioned to you in previous communications, it's it was super exciting, <laughs> exciting to, to receive your invitation to participate in this podcast. Um, a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Caracas, the capital of Venezuela, a very metropolitan and vibrant city. I grew up surrounded by almost my entire family from my mom and my dad's side. And the only reason why I say it that way is because my parents got divorced when I was very little. 
But even though they were not married, my parents found a way for me to interact with pretty much all my relatives. So I'm actually very close to all of them. Since most of us were there, you know, uh, in the same city uh, when I was growing up, it was very easy to get together with no reason. I think that's very characteristic of a Latino family. (laughs) We used to have family and friends gatherings, uh, you know, every week. We would go to the beach or my family's farm. We would visit many places in, in Venezuela, which are gorgeous. And sometimes even, you know, abroad, you know, we would explore outside of the country as well. A little bit about my education. Um, I went to pharmacy school at the Universidad Central de Venezuela in Caracas. And right when I was finishing all the coursework um, as a pharmacist, and even before my graduation commencement, I got into graduate school. So I was halfway through graduate school, I would say, yeah, halfway through PhD when I got invited to work on my dissertation in Ohio at the Ohio State University Department of Pharmacology in the College of Pharmacy. Thanks to previous collaborations between my professors professors at OHU and those at Ohio State University. So that was that was great. I said yes to that proposal. So I, I moved to Ohio as a student back in 2005, early 2005. And after I finished my dissertation and all my lab work and publications and all that, I went back to Venezuela to defend my dissertation and graduate. And since at that time, I had gotten married in Ohio, coincidentally with a Venezuelan person, (laughs) a husband, I returned to the United States and accepted a position as a postdoctoral researcher in the same laboratory I was before. So in Ohio State, I worked there uh, for a couple of more years doing research and, and teaching as well. I was doing a lot of teaching back then until life put me in front of an opportunity to do video medical interpreting. So that was a big, a big moment. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. a big change. Let's go back just a little bit, Tatiana, to when English was introduced in your life. When was that moment? Honestly, it was very early in my life because uh, my mom studied here in the United States in Georgia and my uncles and my grandparents lived here for a while. So I would listen to many things in English when I was in Venezuela. Uh, My mom used to ground me in English, so I, I remember that very well. I think those were the you know first words that I learned <laughs> in English, <laughs> how to ground someone or you know. Um, so I was introduced to it very early in my life, uh, but it wasn't until I would say I was in I was an undergrad that I started to pay more attention to you know actually communicating in English. I mean I you know when you travel and things like that, and you're little. I didn't have to rely too much on it, so. I understood some songs and things like that. I could maybe ask for certain things, but I didn't really need it as much. So it wasn't until I was an undergrad that started, you know, to to be a little more um, serious about it. And and then during, you know, I continued to learn it. And when I was in graduate school, early in graduate school, I took some very intensive courses of uh, communication in English and things like that, verbal communications, written communications. I had a fairly decent grammar background back then, but I needed to really solidify it, especially if I wanted to come to the United States to work 
in a scientific environment. So it wasn't just like, you know, street English or things like that. No, I had to have proper English. And then when I moved to Ohio, actually, I visited Ohio back in 2003, almost two years before I moved to, to Ohio. And that was a great practice for me. But then when I moved, I moved to a house with five American roommates. So the only way we could we could communicate was in English. So I came with this very formal, maybe scientific <laughs> English. <laughs> and they taught me, you know, more of a different type of English. <laughs> Let's more just put the, it that way. More of the yeah. how to get grounded type of English. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, yes. Tatiana, talk to us a little bit about uh, your interest in pharmacy school. What was what was the interest behind that or your motivation behind wanting to become a, a pharmacist? Is Was that the initial uh, dream? Well, honestly, it wasn't, but many things lead me to it. Um, one of it, one of, a, of those was um, the fact that I, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather was a professor in the College of Pharmacy, the same College of Pharmacy, uh, you know, I, I, I went to or attended. Um, he founded one of the programs, the same graduate program that I, that I attended, that I graduated from. He founded that. So ever since I was very little, I would go to the College of Pharmacy with my mom or my grandma. And I knew a lot of people. Like I was very used to that environment and being in laboratories. They have a great laboratory there to generate and develop an- antidotes for, oh, I forgot the word. Snake bite, you know, anti snake uh, venom and serum and all that. So I was, you know, in the lab environment since I was very little. Then later, when I was about to graduate from high school, I did uh, a special uh, science project in the College of Pharmacy in that laboratory specifically. So I was very excited and, and, and got interested in all that you know, you could do in a lab. And in addition to that, I had a great experience with my um, chemistry teachers uh, back in high school, organic uh, chemistry teachers and all that. So I was like, oh, I can, I can do something like this. So I took the, the test to be able to uh, be a student in the College of Pharmacy there. And I, t- I actually applied for three different fields. One was dentistry, the other one was medicine, and the third one was pharmacy. And um, when I knew that I had passed the test to basically enter in the pharmacy program, I really didn't, like I stopped studying for the other tests. <laughs> like once I, you know, I got, I got that one, I was like, you know what, this is really what I want to do. Um, I took the te- I didn't go to, to take the test uh, for medicine, and I went to take the test for um, dentistry, but I wasn't too excited about it. So that's how it all started. And yeah, so interesting. So now fast forward to the moment where you do this video remote interpreting. How did that get started or come about? Well, this was. I would say, yeah, around this time in 2012, around March of 2012. I know we're in April, but it feels like, I don't know, it's right now with the situation, time is, it's a weird thing. Yeah. But um, this was time. (laughs) Exactly. So this was back in 2000, early 2012. At that time, I was still teaching at three different universities in Ohio. 
my first daughter was two years old. And pretty much when I was doing research, um, the funding for my research and basically my salary was running out. And we had certain changes uh, back then that caused me to pretty much find a job or another research opportunity outside of the laboratory I was in. But even though I had some opportunities in research, I pretty much decided to go a different route, basically because I wanted to prioritize my family. Something that's sometimes very difficult in research is that, you know, when you start, but you never know when you end let's say an experiment or a research project and things like that. So it's, that time was, was a very interesting transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I knew I liked, you know, languages, healthcare and serving others, but little did I know how passionate I was and still am about the combination of all those. And then suddenly enter the opportunity for video remote interpreting or just interpreting in general? When was that moment? Well, um, I, I was looking for opportunities. And I said before, I had some research opportunities, but I was like, mm, I'm not, I don't think I'm ready to do that right now or to continue the same path right now because I wanted to continue to grow my family. So I was reading the, the university's uh, newsletter and I found an agency, a, a medical interpreting agency recruiting for for interpreters and then I called but the agency was outside of Columbus Ohio when I was located it was for on-site interpreting but back then they didn't have uh, many assignments for the Columbus area and since my kid was little I didn't want to travel so I said well if they are outside of Columbus um, I'm pretty sure there's something local. You know, there must be something here in Columbus. So I just Googled something like medical interpreting in Columbus. And I got to Marty's website, which is the company I work for. And back then it was Language Access Network. So I called them. I submitted my my resume. They interviewed me. And within a couple of weeks, I was taking my first training as medical interpreter. So I went through training and all that. And then I started some shadowing at Language Access Network with video medical interpreters. And then I started interpreting for them. What was going through your mind, Tatiana, as you're going through these experiences and going through different training, going from the lab to teaching to all of a sudden a mesh of uh, your unique abilities and experience and education and interests. What is happening in your mind? What are you thinking as far as uh, the interpreting field is concerned? I've I've had others uh, think, well, I, I transition into this field and how hard can it be, right? I've had others share that uh, on this platform in the past. What was going through your mind when you're thinking, yeah, I think interpreting might do the trick? Well, I had no idea what was going to happen. I was just very open-minded to learning and to explore. Um, I even thought, well, maybe this is something, you know, I'll do for a few months, a few months or a year or something, and I'll go back to research. Um, When I was receiving the training, I realized that there was a lot more than I thought. Um, especially in in the medical field. Um, I knew a lot of the, let's say, 
medical terminology and all that kind of stuff, but I had no idea about standards of practice, uh, code of ethics, all that kind of stuff for medical interpreting. So that was very interesting. Pretty much going through many different ethical dilemmas that we learn as interpreters, that was completely new to me. So I was really fascinated. I was fascinated by all the new things I was learning or even how to pronounce certain things in English that I never used, you know, because I was just trapped in my laboratory, <laughs> not trapped, but <laughs> right. that's the life of a researcher. You're in the lab most of the time. So it was, it was really just interesting and, and fascinating. And I just, I remember um, taking the training with people who actually had like 15 years of experience interpreting and all that kind of stuff. So I was trying to learn from them, but I soon realized that they were also there for a reason, you know, I think we, we've all seen that many times, you know, you have a lot of experience in one field, but nobody has guided you to actually do it the right way or to comply with um, certain guidelines. So I also realized, oh, I need to learn this the right way from the get-go so I don't get in trouble later on. I took that and pretty much applied it in every single one of my interpretations because I was like, I don't, I don't want to fail on this, you know? <laughs> Right. Did you start as an on-site interpreter or did you right from the get-go begin as a video remote interpreter? I started as a video remote interpreter right away. Mm -hmm. And what was that like for you? It was, it was cool. It was interesting. It was different to get used to being in front of a camera, right. to pretty much talk to a computer. <laughs> um, although we know that's not the truth. Uh, but it feels that way sometimes. It feels like you're in a movie or something like that, you know? Um, that was, I think, the, the most difficult part for me at the beginning to, to get used to the technology and, you know, accepting the call, uh, collecting some information, giving my procession, and, you know, all those little things. When, when we got to the interpretation, things were easier. But at the same time, when I say easier, it's not that it's an easy thing to do, right. but I felt a little more comfortable with that back then. With time, I also learned, uh, not only with my experience in, in video remote interpreting, but also with many trainings that I took, that things, although they look sometimes easy or just black and white, most of the time they're not. So th that was you know, a learning process, but still not... At any point, I really was like upset or, or sad that I had to start this new path or anything like that. I was just excited and happy to do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What are you currently doing with the organization uh, that you're at? Share with us a little bit more about where you are now and what services you are providing. Well, after a couple of years that I started at Marty, I got promoted as the manager of interpreter education and compliance. And I was in that role for a while, uh, almost five years, actually. And then it wasn't until about a year ago that I transitioned from overseeing that internal training staff to pretty much advocating for language services outside of Marty and our parent company, Cloudbreak Health. Um, so my current title is Director of Language Service Advocacy. And as I said before, you know, I help train hospitals on best practices in language access, current regulations, language access plans, all that, cultural awareness and sensitivity, 
So it's a bridge between CloudBridge, Mark, the rest of the world, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, that is the story, actually, that um, or one of the stories that led me to you was uh, a presentation that you were giving out. Uh, I think it was a hospital setting, if I remember correctly, and you were sharing about the focus for the presentation. And, you know, language access is something that perhaps in the medical field more so than in the field that, uh, or the area that I'm currently in, which is in education, you know, there's, there's a bit more of a structure as in the legal field as well, right? When it comes to providing language services. And so I, I really wanted to bring you here so that we could talk about those aspects of language access that you find that you're having to share most often um, with these organizations. What is the one bit of information that you feel is the most crucial when you're out there sharing this information with these organizations or during your trainings even? Well, I would say many things, <laughs> but right. um, some of the crucial ones, sometimes lack of knowledge is one, knowledge of the rights to have uh, you know, effective communication in different settings. But also um, seeing people wanting to help, but just don't know how to really help. Um, I've seen many things. I have been in many different healthcare organizations from very small ones to very big ones. Some that have great um, language access policies and procedures and departments, you know, like a very established structure around language access and language services to some that are, whether small or big organizations, that have no real, let's say, structure or, or department that would, you know, manage something like language access or language, uh, language services. So that's why it varies because between providing them training, you know, some of the things I see are lack of, of training education in how to work with an interpreter how to better serve the different populations. Well, let's say that those are the main ones now that I think about it. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Now, what would you say, Tatiana, has been your biggest challenge during your career? Do you remember a moment in your career where your interpreting career where you felt it was a challenge to you? And how do you feel that you overcame this challenge? In other words, what did it teach you? Well, in my interpreting career, I would say one of the biggest challenges was to actually um, stick to the interpreting role because coming from the healthcare uh, side, like the provider side of, of, of this equation mm-hmm. made me wanted to say so many things, <laughs> <laughs> but I had to keep my mouth shut because I was not in those interpreting sessions as the pharmacist or, you know, the healthcare provider, I was there to provide effective communication. And my role as the interpreter, you know, didn't permit me to, to say anything more than that, you know, or to, to, to be, to perform in that, in that, in a way different than that. So that was actually still difficult, <laughs> but I, but I've learned to just stick to my role at the moment. I can but yeah, that's, yeah. that's regarding interpreting. Yeah. <laughs> if you could choose one thing to credit for your moment of success, 
what do you feel prepared you the most and that you would give credit to? That's simple. God, honestly. That was the first thing. After that, a lot of training, family support, friend support, colleague support, you name it. That sense of community uh, you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? And that mm-hmm. from the beginning that you had talked about, um, it's just being able to have those connections and being able to connect with people and have that sense of community. Yep. What exciting new project are you currently working on, Tatiana? Just recently, I was um, I had the opportunity actually to uh, be a participant in one of the webinars that you were a part of as a presenter with cross-cultural communications and sharing your expertise on the tricks and traps of video remote interpreting. And so I know that during these times, you're probably positioning yourself to be able to share out a lot of your experiences and expertise uh, out to the interpreting community. Is there anything you're currently excited about that you're currently working on? Yes. (laughs) I am currently involved in many fascinating projects and (laughs) exciting projects. I can tell you about two of them. Actually, the first one I thought about was the one that I think you're kind of referencing and is one that was recently announced in that in that series of of webinars and it is the remote interpreter book I am one of the authors in the team of wonderful professionals from professionals from cross-cultural communications boost lingo interpret america united language group and marty cloudbreak and so that's that's the first one that I wanted to mention. And the other one is basically in uh, the projects that I have supporting our language access community through my current role at Cloudbreak. So a combination of writing articles for the Cloudbreak's um, human IT blog that we have in our website and developing presentations, trainings, training materials for hospitals and continuing education for interpreters in the U.S. and outside of, of the U.S. So I'm, I'm very excited about all this. <laughs> that sounds amazing, particularly this, uh, the remote interpreter book. It, are you allowed to share with us the, the little bit of nuggets that uh, we might be able to expect from this reference book or no? Well, uh, I think a little bit of uh, has been shared already um, in some of these webinars. Uh, first, that you know, it's a collaboration. Uh, as I said before, we have a great team of professionals writing this book, and um, it will involve pretty much any specialty in general about uh, that's involved in remote interpreting you know, video remote interpreting, uh, over the phone interpreting in consecutive mode, but also um, certain pieces about um, remote simultaneous interpreting. And it will be applicable to spoken languages, but also uh, sign languages. So we're very excited about, about all that. Absolutely. It sounds super exciting. Any idea as to uh, when we can expect it to uh, launch? Well, we're trying to do it as soon as possible, um, but I would say later uh, this year, we're hoping to to have everything ready before this year ends. I don't have specifics right, right now, and right. we're trying to expedite the process due to the <laughs> <laughs> current circumstances, but um, yeah. 
I think part of what makes it uh, very popular for those that have already uh, established themselves in that platform, it's perhaps nothing new in terms of um, how to offer the service. But for the very many of us that are coming from the world of uh, in-person interpreting assignments uh, and encounters, it is definitely um, a, a quite a different and unique set of skill sets that one uh, that is needed in order to be able to provide appropriate uh, language access. And so I know that for very many of us, we've been trying to absorb as much information as possible to be able to provide this service in this way uh, with our organizations. And so it's it's definitely been a challenge. I can speak in my personal experience because it's, it's not just about um, training and being able to give the interpreter the the right tools um, and the right information to provide the service. But I think that there's also that other missing link, which is part of what you do, Tatiana, is training the administrative side in being able to offer appropriately be able to offer the service. And so we've encountered quite unique circumstances and challenges during these times. So once again, um, thank you for being a part of the professionals that uh, come together and share information, which by the way, for our listeners out there, uh, the information that I'm referring to as far as the webinars that Tatiana has been a part of with cross-cultural communications um, are all for free. So I'll make sure that I'll include the uh, links to these webinars and um, the websites uh, to link you to the webinars uh, in our show notes. And speaking of challenges, Tatiana, how is your organization currently coping with COVID-19? <laughs> Yes, that's the default question right now, right? <laughs> everyone wants to know what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I know that makes total sense. Uh, well, I would say in general terms, we were uniquely positioned to handle this type of situations due to our mm -hmm. geographical diversity, mm -hmm. our experience with you know natural disaster responses, because we have had um, several of those. And our team's, I would say, innovative approaches to solutions. And also the fact that our team is primarily handling remote interactions with healthcare providers, which has allowed us to handle this change without pretty much any interruptions. So, yes, it's, it's a challenge in general for everybody for many reasons, but we were basically already structured to function in a similar way to how we're functioning right now. So that was somehow, you know, not as difficult for us. And so, yeah, that, that's basically how I think in general it's been for us in the company. But of course, it has affected us individually in different ways. In addition to that, we see that there are like some changes in, the, in our normal, you know, We're all, we're all working remotely and things like that. But let's say the, the number of calls that we receive from certain hospitals are now either higher or lower in number or 
they're shifting from one time of the day to a different time of the day. So it's a little more unpredictable right now in that sense, mm. but at least we have the infrastructure of remote interpreting um, and the platform to support all that. So that was very helpful for us. Tatiana, what tips or recommendations would you share with anyone that is interested in joining the world of language access management or remote interpreting? Is there anything that you would like to be able to share with them based on off of your experience? Well, I, I get really excited when I know of someone who's interested in joining our world of language access in any capacity, honestly. Um, but I would say that my recommendations would apply to any field, not just our field. Uh, the first one I would say is don't overthink it. You know, if you feel like you want to do that, go for it and see what happens, right? Um, the second would be be open to the positive, the negative, the ups and the downs, you know, and, and, and the feedback. And third, I would say, if you're going to point out problems, be ready with solutions or ideas for solutions, because it's easy to just, you know, go out there or, or start in this field and say, all these things are wrong, or none of these things are working, instead of providing solutions for that. And last but not least, of course, invest time and, you know, to learn and to listen. Um, to things that are happening in the field and, and to learn the basics and also advanced things about um, language services in general. That's excellent advice. Is there a favorite book, a quote, or a story that has helped inspire you both professionally and personally that you'd like to share on this platform with others? Well, you know what's interesting that you're asking me to list or to mention one thing, <laughs> one, it, it's, it's super hard for me. I always, no, Narrow always it down. many times I have like, yeah, <laughs> I have like four things to say instead of just one. <laughs> well, one that I always keep in mind, um, it's in Spanish. I'm going to say it in Spanish. And then I found a translation. I'm finding here certain things, but I was talking to someone the other day about this so I had to look up for I had to look for a translation in English <laughs> um, so it's actually uh, el que no vive para servir no sirve para vivir I'm not sure who said it first but I know Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta used it a lot uh, but one translation I found in word reference that I really liked was whoever's purpose is not to serve serves no purpose I, I really like that. Uh, of course, there were many other translations, but I, I thought that had the spirit of, of that saying. Um, the other one, I think it's, yeah, one of the ones I mentioned earlier, uh, is from my graduate school's advisors. If we're going to bring problems to my office, be ready with solutions. That was <laughs> something he's, he told me from day one. Um, and that has been extremely helpful in my relationship with others, in my life, in, you know, professional, personal life, everything. And, you know, just smile and be thankful. And, you know, work plus fun can be and is a real thing. You know, you don't have to like, you know, work in a boring environment that it's not exciting you or anything like that. 
those those will be my <laughs> my things. <laughs> no, I absolutely love that, and I think um, solutions is definitely something that you are providing us in the interpreting community when you come on board and um, you share your expertise with us and you share your insight and your experiences and of course your story. So um, I want to thank you once again for having accepted the invitation and um, being willing just to come on this platform to be able to talk to us and be able to share a little bit more of your insight and a little bit more of Tatiana. But before we get to the end, Tatiana, is there anything else that you would like to share uh, with the interpreting community? Anything about the organization that you're currently with or perhaps even where our listeners can find out more about you and the work that you do? Well, first of all, I also want to thank you, as I said earlier, for having me here, for inviting me. I feel really humble and, and honored to, to be in your podcast and to share with everybody who's listening a little bit about my, my story, how I got here, how I continue to work on things and, you know, and, and do my thing um, as a human being, as a professional, as a mother, etc., wife. I want to say that, you know, right now, I know we're going through very difficult times, but we just have to keep going, you know, things are going to get different soon, and we're going to get back to a normal that I consider will be a new normal. And we just have to learn how to adapt and continue, you know, continue straight and, and with whatever goal we set with that in mind. And if it changes, that's fine as well. And in addition to that, I wanted to say that it's interesting. One thing that I've noticed a lot since I started going to many conferences and things like that, how um, so far we are one interpreting community, but there has been in the past certain divisions within the interpreting community. I think uh, one positive thing about the current situation with the pandemic is that it has brought us, uh, many of us together, not only to do projects like the remote interpreting book, but also to be interested in, in other people's fields. And, you know, if, if you worked on site, let's, let's see how it is to be a remote interpreter, or if, if you're a remote interpreter, what what can you share right now? What can you provide to others that need to learn or how you can do things better, how you can represent the interpreting community better? So all those things I, I think have been very positive. And I, I would speak for the entire company. We're trying to do the same. We, we're trying to just keep going and, and provide as much uh, service and solutions as possible. Now regarding where you can find find out more about me or what I'm working on. I would say one of uh, one of those places will be on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there as Tatiana Gonzalez-Sestari. Um, also in the Cloudbreak Health Human IT blog, I, uh, I write some of the articles that we post there. Again, it's Cloudbreak Health Human IT blog. And you can also follow us, um, follow Cloudbreak Health or Marty on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I don't know what other, <laughs> but I know we're 
<laughs> for sure in those networks. Well, Tatiana, I think that part of your past, just like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, that everything happens for a reason. And those aspects of your past that are still so fondly in your memories with regards to your valuing of relationships, the community, the culture and valuing change, I think this has all come together for you in the present moment. And it's only made you a better person for you to be able to be a part of the interpreting community and be able to support us and help us out with all the information that you share out. So once again, thank you so very much for having accepted the invitation. And I look forward to seeing the new remote interpreting book that hopefully will be coming out later on this year. We look forward to seeing that. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm really, yeah, we just love what we do. <laughs> Honestly, I love what I do. So I'm super happy to, to be doing uh, what, I, what I do right now and where I am right now. So hopefully we can continue to learn together. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you so very much. No, thank you. To stay connected with Tatiana Sestari, look for her on LinkedIn under Tatiana Gonzalez-Sestari. For more information on Marty, please visit marty.us. That's marty, M-A-R-T-T-I dot U-S. While you're there, you may want to visit their careers page. For further information on CloudBreak, please visit www.cloudbreak.us. That's cloud, C-L-O-U-D-B-R-E-A-K, one word, US. Just a friendly reminder that I'm interested in obtaining your I hate it when moments. Send me a shout out on social media with those interpreting pet peeves of yours and I'll gladly share them here. You'll soon find out you're not the only one out there with these stories. You can also email me at hello at brandtheinterpreter.com. Engagement is important, you guys, so connect with me on social media or email me. I'd like to hear your thoughts on these episodes. Send me an email or post your question under the comments section of the audiogram. I'll make sure to get it answered by our guests. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. Till next time. Oh, and don't forget, tell your story. Brand the Interpreter.